I'm Paige Waterhouse. And I'm Nabil Reza. From the Cavalier Daily, this is On Record. We're recording the majority of this episode on Monday, November 2nd. We'll be adding details from whatever we know on election night later. The 2020 presidential election has been said to be the most important and monumental election that the United States has faced in years. When coronavirus hit the U.S. in March of 2020, many Americans bashed President Trump for his handling of the pandemic and his push to reopen the economy, saying that it cost the lives of thousands of people. COVID-19, accompanied by the issues of racial inequality, law enforcement, health care, LGBTQ plus rights, and the future of the environment are at stake, which is why so many Americans find this to be such a pivotal election. With the pandemic, how people go about their daily lives has changed drastically as businesses have closed or shifted their operations. Many people have ended up in quarantine, lockdown, or isolation for weeks or months. When it comes to voting, primary elections in the spring made it evident that the process would not be able to continue as it traditionally has. The prospect of long lines and shutdowns of polling locations would have resulted in an inability to vote for thousands of people. For the elderly, who are most at risk for COVID-19, their risk of going to vote in person is high even if they wear a mask and adhere to social distancing. For students who are in college or away from home, traveling is limited right now, making it difficult to travel in order to vote. Before the pandemic, there were many restrictions on voting absentee or early in person. Now states have adapted their rules in order to make sure as many registered voters as possible are able to vote, and people were able to cite COVID-19 as a legitimate reason to do so. Some states, such as California and Vermont, have changed their laws to send mail-in ballots to all registered voters. These changes led to a rise in mail-in voting. This came in conjunction with concerns about the U.S. Postal Service facing funding cuts and therefore that their ability to mail ballots would be hindered. Over 80 million Americans, a record number, cast early votes in this election. Additionally, there was a rise in political advocacy and voter turnout across the U.S., especially among young people. The COVID-19 pandemic shifted what this election looks like, the voting process, and the weight the results carry. In 2016, voter turnout dipped to its lowest point in two decades. The 2008 election saw the highest turnout in 40 years. Young people were unusually active in 2008. 8% of young voters in battleground states said that they had attended a campaign event, far more than among other age groups. Young voters turned out at a higher rate in battleground states in 2008 than in 2004. According to Democracy Counts, during the 2016 election, just 48% of college students voted. This was significantly lower than the national average for all Americans, 61%. Students make up a significant portion of the voting population, at about 18 million eligible voters, and have the potential to shape elections. Young voters were a big reason why Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election was so close to the majority in states like Michigan, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Generation Zers, Millennials, and Generation Xers cast 69.6 million votes in the 2016 general election, making up a slight majority of the 137.5 million total votes cast, despite being a minority of eligible voters. Turnout among young people in particular surged in 2020, and a Harvard University Institute of Politics poll found that 63% of 18- to 29-year-olds would definitely vote in the election the highest proportion ever recorded by the Institute after 20 years of polling. More than 6 million voters under the age of 30 cast early ballots this year. 
dwarfing the early voting figure for 18 to 29-year-olds of 2 million in 2016. The growth in participation among young voters is notable in key states such as Texas, Florida, and Pennsylvania. Over 800,000 young voters voted early in Texas. Over 514,000 young voters voted early in Florida, and over 176,000 young voters voted early in Pennsylvania. In states such as Florida, North Carolina, Maine, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, the number of early voters cast by just young voters exceeded the 2016 margin of victory in each state, signaling both the dramatic uptick in participation and the potential for young voters to decisively impact the election process. Earlier this week, we asked a handful of students across grounds about their plans to vote and their feelings prior to the election. I'm Danielle Stevens, and I'm a first year. I'm originally from Georgia. I am planning to vote by mail and mail it into Georgia. And when I voted, I just checked a bunch of boxes. And I feel like voting is important in this election because voting is a civic duty and it's a responsibility that every citizen should have and we should have an impact upon who our leaders are going to be. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm a fourth year in the College of Arts and Sciences studying biology and Spanish. Did you vote yet? Yes, I voted by mail at the beginning of October. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling nervous but also excited to see all of the votes come in and the results from each of the states. Hi, my name is Tessa Danahy. Um, um, I'm a fourth year applied statistics major, um, and I've been really involved on in this 2020 election. Uh, I was really devastated in 2016 when Trump won. I definitely felt like I could have done more and I didn't because I just assumed that Hillary would win. Um, and so that, I think, has definitely haunted me and made me want to volunteer as much as I can. Um, so I voted early, uh, maybe only a few days after it opened. Um, I did that pretty early on, and that was a great experience. A lot of people there voting early, even though... Uh, we were so far away from the election, so that gave me a lot of hope. And looking at all of the numbers of people who voted early since it opened has been really uplifting to me, especially seeing that Texas has actually had more people vote early than total in the 2016 election, um, and so has Hawaii. And so things like that have really been like keeping my spirits up. Hi, I'm Alex Tran. I'm a second year in the College of Arts and Sciences, and um, I voted through mail and absentee ballot. I'm registered in the Charlottesville, Albemarle County, so that's where I voted. <laughs> and then um, I voted because I wanted to practice my um, rights and duties as a citizen and participate in our great American democracy. <laughs> Um, and pre-election, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. I'm like really anxious for the results to come in and a little bit worried about what the aftermath is gonna be like, but hopefully everything will be okay and we'll avoid civil war part two. My name is Saskia and I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. And I have already voted in this election 
And I think voting is important because you're voting for not just yourself, but other people and their rights and your rights. And it's just important to keep your privileges in check. Hi, my name is Kate Padalino, and I'm a third year in political philosophy, policy, and law at UVA. For the presidential race, I voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. For the Virginia Senate race, I voted for Mark Warner, and for Virginia's 5th District, I voted for Cameron Webb, all of whom I wholeheartedly support. As a woman, I vote out of respect for the many women in the past who worked tirelessly to secure the right for all women to vote today. The integrity of our democracy rests on voting and legitimate elections. We need a government that will reflect the interest of all citizens regardless of race, gender, and ethnicity. As citizens of the United States, our participation is brief. However, the health of our system relies on each and every one of us to go out and exercise the civic duty. A single vote out of 300 million Americans may seem small, but it is our voice to advocate for a leader who may better our lives in the future. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm a fourth year media studies major, uh, and I cast my vote around 8.15 this morning. And pleasantly, everything went according to plan. I didn't expect a crowd at my particular polling place, and there wasn't one. I just walked right in, nobody in line. Uh, also, all the people volunteering or voting were wearing masks. Everybody was pleasant and welcoming. There was no um, nothing going on that I would describe as voter intimidation or voter suppression, uh, which is something I was concerned about with you know recent headlines. Um, but my vote was informed by you know my thoughts on several specific issues. I'm very concerned about uh, criminal justice reform. Um, various forms of discrimination in this country, uh, as well as climate change policy um, and health care, of course, uh, but also some broader issues just like common decency, uh, as well as, you know, anti-intellectualism um, and just the refusal of science in general uh, are things that, that have concerned me a lot. So uh, all those things went into consideration when I cast my vote today, uh, and now we'll wait and see what happens. My fingers are crossed. The university's Center for Politics ran a national social media campaign encouraging citizens to register to vote. The Center for Politics also collaborated with Student Council to create an information page about voting on its website, including information about planning your vote and volunteer opportunities. UVA students have historically been active in elections. In 2020, Who, What, Why, a New York-based news nonprofit, ranked UVA number four in university civic engagement with 64% of students turning out to vote in 2016. The election prompted action from a number of clubs here on grounds, aiming to make voting more accessible and understandable to students. Student Council, Forge, University Democrats, and College Republicans came together to create Who's Voting, a nonpartisan initiative to walk students through the process of voting and help connect students with rides to votes early in person. Although a lot of organizations shifted their efforts due to COVID restrictions, Student Council continued their efforts by visiting classes, both in-person and virtual, to promote voter registration. The Democracy Initiative Student Advisory Council hosted a watch party for the second presidential debate between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden in the amphitheater while adhering to university COVID-19 guidelines. We spoke to university Democrats and college Republicans to learn about the ways their organizations mobilized students in preparation for the election. 
I'm Hunter Hess. I'm a third year student in the College of Arts and Sciences, and I'm campaign chair of the University Democrats. So can you describe UDEM's some of their most recent sort of efforts leading up to the election? From the very start of the semester, we started our campaigning. There wasn't really a time where like a transition period, even with COVID-19, which really made our efforts a lot harder to do because usually we had in-person events, voter registration, all kinds of stuff, but we had to adapt to that. So we still had voter registration, but there was a much bigger online push rather than our typical like in-person just because safety concerns, we want the health and safety of our members and also everyone else. So we really pushed the online registration and the majority of our phone banks and text banks, which we have two to three a week throughout the semester, have been on Zoom. And if we've had any in person, everything's been like outside on the lawn or in one of the tents near the corner or on the South Lawn. There's really never been, even with COVID-19, a pause in our campaigning, talking to voters. So we've been phone banking, we've been text banking, of course, a lot for Cameron Webb right here in the fifth district, which is the most competitive house race in the nation, but also for other close races, um, Abigail Spanberger, Sarah Gideon um, running for Senate in Maine, um, Amy McGrath in Kentucky, We've been text banking voters in all kinds of different battleground states throughout the nation. Over this whole semester, we've sent over 200,000 text messages and almost 9,000 phone calls now. Specifically this weekend, um, GOTV weekend, Get Out the Vote weekend, we have been um, having events every day. So since last Thursday, we've had an event every day. We've phone banked, we've flyered around grounds, we've done lit drops, um, just constant outreach. So even with the COVID changes, how has turnout from the student body been like for your events and all your efforts compared to last year? For campaign events, they've been pretty similar to even previous years. And Zoom has honestly made it somewhat easier because people don't have to go to Clark Library. They don't have to go to New Cabell Hall to meet up. They can just like get right on their computer. And if they're not feeling like being social, like you don't even have to turn your video on. Now that we have been doing socially distanced outdoor in-person events, it's been, the transition's been nice because like we met each other on Zoom. So even though like it's weird seeing people in person with all of this and especially doing campaign work, um, we already like built that relation, those relationships over Zoom. What do you think has been the biggest challenge with COVID in organizing efforts? The, one of the biggest challenges is that you can't go through your typical routes of like planning events. And we typically in a normal semester do tons of canvassing. We travel around the state and we were planned on traveling even out of the state to go canvas and knock on doors to talk to voters. But And that was always one of our biggest focuses. But with COVID-19, that's not safe. So we have done a few lit drops. Um, which is just dropping papers at people's doors, no contact. But even with those, they're not even that common with the campaigns. So a lot of it has been working with the campaigns because it's new for everyone. It's not just new for us. So you mentioned that there's a stronger student turnout even to some of these events. How has been the response to like your voter registration efforts among students? Do you think it's increased? So that data is really hard to tell. So our in-person voter registration is definitely not as high because before we only focused on in-person, like everything we did was all of our registrations. Since if you have a Virginia ID, you can just register online. We have encouraged all in-state students to register online. So we got a lot of action from our QR codes we were sending around with links to that. So we don't have those exact numbers, but we're feeling good. Um, And especially with the high early vote voting turnouts, like people definitely registered. Um, We are giving rides to the polls. So we definitely see that there. And then we have been, we focused on um, in-person registration just for out-of-state students that do not have a Virginia ID.
we worked with Hoxieville and they helped us create a website to drive students to the polls. So um, especially first year students who have to go all the way to the Albemarle Registrar's Office, which is like kind of outside of the city. So connecting them with our members who can drive, have a car and driving them to the polls um, so they can vote early. So that's been another new thing this year, which was awesome because we were able to combine all those different elements into one central website. So students could go find the information right there. This is a very tense time, um, obviously. Would you like to share any personal um, thoughts, emotions, or anything that you're getting just from within the organization or the student body? Yeah, I mean, people are excited but they're also anxious. I mean, we've had four years of Donald Trump. We've had Mitch McConnell in the Senate. We just had Amy Coney Barrett confirmed to the Supreme Court. And that's scary. And that's just not the America we want as Democrats here at UVA. And I mean, people are feeling this all around the country. With COVID-19, with just this tense campaign, just seeing our members really just keep coming out, keep participating and giving it their all just has been awesome to see. My name is Cameron Cox. I'm a fourth year. I'm in the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy, and I'm the Vice President of Campaigns and Advocacy for the College Republicans at UVA. If you could speak about some of your organization's most recent or biggest efforts leading up to um, the 2020 general. Our efforts started from, you know, the day we got to the grounds and they're going to go until the polls close tomorrow. You know, we've done extensive campaigning, and most specifically for Nick Freitas, who's running for Congress in Virginia's 7th Congressional District. Prior to this year, the most people we had ever had uh, attended deployment to knock doors was about 16. I'm excited to say last Saturday, obviously safely, because it presents some challenges, we had 28 people uh, deployed down to the 7th District to knock doors. Um, we knocked over 3,000 doors just in one day. Uh, so it was a massive record setting day, but our campaign efforts in a general year, and especially considering you know, we're facing a global pandemic, I, I'm absolutely blown away with our efforts this year. Your decision or the organization's decision to campaign in VA7 versus VA5, was that a strategic thought? Um, where did that come from? It, it was mainly a strategic thought. You know, we, we looked at the political breakdown. You know, we realized the fifth district you know, is, is, is supposed to be a pretty red district. Um, but the seventh was flipped in 2018 when Abby Osmanberger uh, beat Dave Bratt. We've got an amazing candidate that we, you know, we saw won the primary, Nick Freitas. And Nick Freitas has always been a really good friend of the CRs at UVA. Focusing our efforts on the seventh district are really going to help the CRs, you know, make a difference in the election at the margins. Um, something that I don't think we thought would happen in another district. So that's why we chose the seven. So you alluded to this earlier, but COVID obviously presents some interesting challenges for a political organization. Can you talk about how you guys have worked around that? And what are some things that you aren't, you just aren't able to do this year? And what are some, you know, new novel things that you've been working with? It a hundred percent has changed the way we think about things and the way we carry them out. We, we find different hosts and we, um, make calls, you know, based on the numbers. So say we're only allowed to gather in groups of 10 and say we have 15 people that want to call. So we'll split them up between, you know, two and three apartments, uh, you know, wear masks spread out. And then as for knocking doors, you know, it's much of the same and it's a fairly safe process. You know, you knock on the door and you back up and you, and you safely talk to, to the resident. We've, you know, hit the ground running this year. We've actually exceeded 
all of our campaign numbers from 2019. And we've done it in a safe fashion. I've been really, really proud of our club's efforts. So can you speak a little bit about your voter registration efforts um, and what you've done, if you've had the opportunity to do any? And in general, from your viewpoint, how has student um, voter registration this year differed from previous years? Do you see an uptick in interest or um, what do you see? In terms of voter registration efforts, I, I think that we do uh, the bulk of that, you know, on the campaign trail. You know, you call people, you help them get their absentee ballots. You know, you help answer any questions like that. And most, a lot of campaigning isn't necessarily saying, hey, vote for this candidate. It's saying, how can I help you vote? Um, are there any sort of activities or events you want to highlight? Um... It, it's been impressive, I would say. And a lot of this is attributable. We have a, a very good and dedicated president, Chris Tomlin, this year. I think it's, it's just amazing the fact that we are in the middle of COVID-19 and have increased club participation and I think we're going to talk about a big event. You know, we've managed to host, you know, very well attended Zoom meetings every single week with, you know, big name speakers. You know, Senate candidate Daniel Gates come. We've had Nick Freitas. We've had Scott Taylor, who's running for Congress. We get very, very high name speakers because they, I think they know the work that this club's done. I think we've managed to sort of gain some sort of gravitas uh, across the state and beyond that, actually. So um, on the eve of, of election night, how do you feel? How do CRs feel? How do you feel um, conservatives on grounds, grounds in general feels, um, you know, what's what's the temperature? Yeah, no, so, I mean, we're excited. I, I think that people, as I speak, are painting Beta Bridge right now. I think the club overall is optimistic. I mean, it's hard to engulf yourself in the world of politics if you're not optimistic. Um, all right, so obviously, less than ideal circumstances this year, but what do you want to carry forward from the 2019, I mean, 2020 election? Um, what sort of adaptations has COVID caused you to make? What sort of adaptations has this heightened um, sort of political climate caused you to make? Or what sort of energy do you have that you want to carry forward into future years when we won't have to hopefully be meeting on Zoom calls? Well, you've really had to kind of fight to, uh, to keep that fire going this year. It's, it's, it's just much harder when you can't gather in these big groups, when you can't do you know, these big call nights, when you can't do massive election night watch parties or, or uh, debate watch parties. You, know, you, know, you, you feel like you, you, you're getting you know, pulled away from your natural social setting and it makes it a lot harder to, to band together behind a common cause. And I would say that the CRs have transcended those struggles this year. All right, I guess my last question to you, Cameron, is uh, what are you going to be doing tomorrow night? As a club, what we're doing tomorrow night is we're going to do, you know, from the beginning of the day to the end, we'll be making calls to help, you know, get people to the polls and, and get them to vote, hopefully for Nick Kratis. Our goal is to flip the 7th District. We'll, we might be sending out some campaign text messages for the 5th District as well. Actually, the College Republicans are staffing a polling place. I think it's super important as a respectable place to get involved in the election process. I think at UVA, we really only think of, you know, activism in terms of voting as getting people registered. And that's great, don't get me wrong. But another huge part of the election process is making sure these, these polls function, you know, smoothly and efficiently. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, Nabil, thank you for, for having me on. I really do appreciate it. 
In the past couple of months, there were creative and novel efforts through student-led organizations on grounds. UVA administration, however, has faced criticism over the refusal to cancel classes on election day. According to university spokesperson Brian Coy, the university's official policy indicates, quote, the decision about whether to hold tests or exams on election day rests with individual faculty members, end quote. Many feel this suppresses student voters and only makes it harder for students to go out to vote, even while the university claims that empowering students to vote is a priority. This election has been incredibly important and unique. You heard earlier from students about their thoughts before November 3rd. Here's what they had to say on Wednesday following Election Day. Okay, so it's been more than 16 hours since the first polls closed. Um, and, you know, in every presidential election that I've been through in my life so far, you know, by now we had a really, really good idea of who was going to be the next president. Um, not that we have no idea right now. I'm, I'm optimistic the way things are leaning, you know, watching these key battleground states as the absentee votes come in and, and change the percentages uh, that we went to bid with last night. I, I think we've got a lot to look forward to there. Uh, but this has been an emotional roller coaster. I mean, absolutely bonkers, considering that, um, you know, there's still a chance to get the, the outcome of the election that I wanted to happen. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's still so much evidence that this country is so bitterly divided uh, that even with, you know, who I feel to be the right presidential candidate in office, um, I'm pessimistic about, you know, our hopes of bringing the country together and making real progress in the next four years. So the results aren't completely in yet, but I think there's enough that's been counted so that I can feel comfortable in saying that Biden is probably going to win. And that is a huge relief to me because I'm glad to see the Cheeto out. However, I am still nervous that <laughs> the final few electoral college votes lie in the hands of Elvis Presley impersonators. So we will see how tomorrow morning goes. I requested an absentee ballot from the state that I'm from and it never arrived. And when I attempted to resolve this issue, I was informed that I had to re-register to vote. And by the time I tried, to, uh, I re-registered to vote, I had to mail in a, a registration application back to my home state. And it never, by the time I received confirmation of that, I did not have enough time to request the absentee ballot and, and there was not enough time for it to arrive for me to then send it back to my home state. So unfortunately, I irresponsibly did not get my vote in one time. On Record is written by Neela Connaughton, Will Bird, Peyton Guthrie, Ariana Aronson, Sophia Moore, Genevieve Charles, Maggie Lynn, Karen Sun, and Kristen Davidson Schwartz. The show is produced by Carmen Mew, David Hunt, Anne Williams, and Grace Fluharty. Our editor is Nabil Raza. Thanks for listening. This has been On Record.